welcome to Speak a Dogcast. My name is David Farb, Animal Behavior Specialist, and I am broadcasting from WOUF Woof Studios in beautiful Palm City, Florida. Thank you so much for joining me once again today. If you haven't clicked that subscribe or follow button, do so right now. New episodes come out every Wednesday, and you're going to want to check them out. And you can also find me, uh, find me on Instagram at Speak a Dogcast. And if the visual thing, well, that's more your thing, head on over to youtube.com slash speakadogcast and you can subscribe to my YouTube channel today. If you want to support the show even further, become a patron of the show today at patreon.com slash speakadogcast. Yes, thank you guys so much. We greatly appreciate it. And of course, if you love what you're hearing, if you love the show, scroll on down, click that five stars, click that rating, give me a review. Would love to hear it, guys. If you're on YouTube, give me that thumbs up. I know last week we didn't have an episode up here. Uh, far and few in between, sometimes randomly we don't have an episode, and I do apologize for the randomness of it. Uh, some few things came up and just had a hard time getting that uh, episode out and up. So here we are. <laughs> We're here today. It's been, been crazy, I feel like, the past few months, but hey, isn't that life? Uh, welcome. So, um, you know, first of all, I know we are a dog podcast, but I did just kind of want to take at least a moment um, and talk about what's what's kind of going on in the Middle East, at least, you know, just for a second. Um, there's not much that really can be said about what's going on there that either hasn't already been said or there are no words for what's going on. Um, but in a nutshell, you know, it's obviously hitting close to my, myself. Um, I actually have family in Israel and, uh, one of them who might even be called up to the IDF, um, back into service. So, um, thinking of him, thinking of everybody over there and just praying for everyone and hoping we can come to some kind of resolve and resolution in this madness of a terrorist attack. And it's just, it's, you know, look, a side note, it's a, it's a daily thing for the people of Israel to have to deal with terrorism and rocket sirens and, and being being searched anytime you walk into a place of business because it's just a way of life over there. And we take for granted so much of how it is here that we are so safe and so lucky. And so take a moment, hug your loved ones, and be grateful for everything you have. With that said, let's talk about the episode. Today, we're going to talk about you got to work it because it's all about working your dogs, guys. You absolutely have to work your dogs. It's important to know why, it's important to know how, so we're gonna dive into that. Then comes a segment on biting dogs. <laughs> um, you know, look, we all know what's happening in the White House right now <clears throat> with dogs and <clears throat> whatever. Uh, so we're gonna talk about biting dogs and maybe how to try to head some of that off a little bit and just a little of my um, <clears throat> observations on it. Then comes the history of Animal Mascots 101, followed by the listener Q&A. And if you guys have questions for the listener Q&A, you can keep sending them to me. Questions at speakadogcast, uh, questions at speakadogcast.com, or you can message me on social media as well. Now, before we get going with today's show, I have to give you that trivia question. And today's question is going to be, what is the name of the process nearly all amphibians undergo to change from infancy to adulthood? Yes, what is the name of the process that all, nearly all amphibians undergo in order to change from infancy to adulthood? That's a mouthful. I'll give you the answer somewhere in today's show, so be sure you stick around, sit, stay, and enjoy the podcast. Next on Speaking Dogcast, you gotta work it. Yeah, look, when I'm out there working with my dogs, I am a working man every day. That's what I am. <laughs> yes, so you've got to work your dogs. you got to get out there. you got to work, 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 work. Work, 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 work. You see me, I be work, 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 work
All right, we're done with the musical references, I promise. We'll move on. Uh, no, but it's so true. You gotta get out there and work your dogs. And I think back to the very first time I heard somebody say this to me. Another trainer who said, David, hey, really, come on, work that dog. You gotta work that dog. And I think back to that moment and go kind of, you know, how I rea- reacted, my response and my thought. And my response and my thought was like, what the hell is this guy talking about? Work the dog. What does he mean? This was many years ago. And I think, you know, what they're trying, what, what, what trainers are trying to say when they want you to work your dog is mental engagement more than anything. It's not necessarily like give our job, give our dog a job, right? I'm not like asking you to to make your dog into a bomb sniffing dog or a guide dog or anything like that's not the type of work we're necessarily referring to. That again, that's work, but that's not. Hey, we're talking about mental work, making your dog mentally engaged and active in working with you as the owner and in your training session. Because we've talked about this even a little bit recently: conditioned responses versus a dog actually listening to you and processing what you're saying. Um, you know, a prime example is when I used to work at this animal show many years ago, we had uh, a bit we did with, with dogs. And one of the bits we did was like a, um, uh, uh, it was showing basic commands, the sit, the stay, the lie down, the, the, you know, fun stuff. But we discovered, because we're humans, we're, we're, we're creatures of habit and patterns too. What I, what I discovered is when you work a dog and you go through these routines, when you start training a routine and working it, you wanna keep it simple, you wanna keep it consistent, and so in doing so, I might say, hey, sit, lie down, stay, on your feet, all right, and then we're done, okay? Now, I might go through that pattern of sit, stay, lie down, on your feet, those four commands in a row, I might start with some consistency and doing it that same way over and over and over, so the dog starts to understand and get a pattern, oh, you want me to, the problem is if I only do that pattern, and I go out on stage and I go to tell him to sit before I'm even telling him he's already going into a sit because it has become such a conditioned auto response that they just run through it. There is a huge difference between running through an auto response like that versus I go out there and I change it up on my dog. So that's how I started with the consistency, but then later on, I would change it up. I'm not going to ask for a sit as the first command. I'm not going to ask for a lie down as the second command. Change it up. All of a sudden, your dog goes to sit and goes, oh, wait, wait a second, he didn't say, wait, what did he, what did he say? All of a sudden, it creates focus. All of a sudden, it creates wheels turning in their brain and processing going on that wasn't there before in that auto-response mode, right? You see the difference? This is why, you know, we talked about that segment with, with, with you know, I don't really care that your dog knows how to sit, whoop-de-doo. Um, <laughs> that's my point. Your dog can learn a pattern and a routine over and over and over and over and over and over and over. And that just doesn't really impress me. What impresses me is if you can change that routine and your dog still listens. That's impressive. That's training. That's working your dog. There's the difference between training a dog and working a dog. It increases your bond, it builds your relationship, and it gets your dog thinking. It makes your dog smarter for crying out loud. Like that's what it does. It actually makes your dog smarter because they start learning to actually process what's around them, what's going on. Should I do this? Should I not do this? Is there is there a reward? Is there a consequence? Versus just, oh, sit, sit. Oh, sit, sit. Oh, sit, sit. Oh, he's gonna say sit, so I'm just gonna do it. Big difference. Night and day difference. You gotta work your dog. Can't stress it enough. And so one of the best ways, you know it's coming, one of the best ways, if not the best way to work your dog as a pet, as an, as an individual dog owner, it's gonna be the walk, guys. Always comes back to the walk. I cannot stress it enough. 
cannot stress this enough, okay? You have to walk your dogs and you have to do it in a way that actually stimulates them. For example, if you take the same loop on your walk around the block, day after 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 day, and your dog sniffs the same spot in the same four spots on the day after day after day after day after day after day, it gets really old. There's nothing stimulating about that. That becomes boring. It becomes mundane. It becomes routine to a point that your dog is now lacking stimulation out of it. They almost, some dogs even almost like require that 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 OCD routine. If they don't stop on that one spot and pee, they're gonna start pulling you over toward it obsessively. Not only does working your dog make them more mentally stimulated, it heads off undesired behaviors. It heads off OCD behaviors. It heads off obsessive behaviors. And as I always say, guys, any obsessive behavior is not a good behavior. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. Any obsessive behavior is not a healthy or good behavior. It's it's that simple. So doing something as small as working your dog can change that routine and can head off some obsessiveness, right? So we don't really think about these things as the, I know it, like average dog owners, you guys don't think about these things. And that's that's why I have a job, it's cool. Uh, (laughs) No worries, it's not your job to interpret that stuff and that's fine. But that's why you still have to be able to take this information and go, oh, Boy, my dog's life is kind of boring, isn't it? Do I really work fluffy enough? No. Do we ever go out and work on, how about commands? This is, oh, I love this one. Whenever whenever I have a client who maybe it's been a couple months, you know, we did training, everything's great. It's been months and months, haven't really heard from them. Or or maybe some of my doggy day camp clients who come, they'll mention to me and go, hey, you know, Fluffy's been doing this one thing and it sort of came out of nowhere and the behavior's sort of escalating. And so I'll just ask a couple questions. Well, how are the walks? How are the walks, right? First thing, go back to basics. Second question, how often are you working your dog? What do you mean, David? Come on, you've been my client. You know what I mean. Are you doing the turns? Are you doing commands? Are you doing these? Are you using and utilizing the tools that I've given you to redirect and keep your dog? To go back to basics, guys. That's always my recommendation, especially like if it's somebody I've been working with and everything's been great and then maybe it's slid a little because I haven't seen them in a little while or something like that. I usually tell them, guys, what, where where did we start to gain that success? Like, okay, so here's where we started, right? Here's where we started. Here's where we are with the bad behavior. So somewhere in here, success stopped. So if somewhere in here, success stopped, I have to take this block where we had success, as I'm whacking my microphone, take this block where I have success, and I have to go back to it. Fall back to your basics. That's why they're there. So... When it comes to starting to have these issues, I go back to doing commands, just like I talk, just like I used to do at the animal show. It's it's amazing how like the animal show was totally not behavior related, you know, it was it was it was different. Um, well, yes, we dealt with behavior with the dogs that were there. Uh, it's not what I mean. We weren't like training people's pets. We weren't rehabilitating aggressive dogs. We weren't like doing that kind of stuff. It was training for a show and a routine, and the dogs love it. They had a great time. Um, but it's amazing how something completely unrelated, even though it's the same field, it's still training. I got so much experience, knowledge, information, do's and don'ts of of working at some place like that where day in, day out, you're doing all these, you know, routine things. And I see the power. It let me see the power of working commands with your dog, changing up commands with your dog, changing your routine up, working your dog. It's the first place I had ever really seen dogs get truly worked because before that, all I was doing uh, was in-home training on my own. Well, that's not true. 
that's not true. That's not fair of me to say. Uh, I was shadowing with another animal behavior specialist before I started at the show, and he he knew how to work dogs, still does. Uh, but that's that's besides the point. But seriously, the first place I really saw dogs getting worked on the whole, you know, um, was there, and it it was it was eye opening. It was eye opening to see the difference in stimulation that you can provide for a dog by working them, not just running through your daily routines. So, again, guys. If you really want to change your dog's stimulation, you really want to engage them, you really want to change their focus, you want to build your relationship and make your bond stronger with your dog, there's no other way to say it. You've got to work your dog. Okay, so what does this look like in actions? We kind of talked about it a little bit briefly with the commands. Go back to commands. I, I just, it's so simple, it's so easy. Every dog knows a handful of commands. And for that matter, if they only know a handful, extend it and teach them more, all right? Because running through different commands with your dog doesn't even necessarily have to be every single day, but often enough that you create stimulation, often enough that we're changing it up, that we're creating processing, that can go a long, long, long way. So this is what I'm talking about when I started at the beginning. I said, you can incorporate this stuff into your daily life. Who doesn't have five minutes to work commands with their dogs? And guys, if you're a family of four or five people, everybody should take five minutes to work that dog. And before you know it, if everybody could take five to 10 minutes in a household of four or five people and work commands with their dog every day, every other day, whatever, it's almost an hour a day, if not more than an hour per day. Like, do you, wow, mind blown. Uh, little amount of work you individually have to put in, but on the whole, it really can add up. Okay, so something to think about. Now, other day-to-day, -day, daily things we can do to work our dogs. I got a question for you. When you let your dogs out, do you just open the door and let them go? Most of you are going to be like, well, yeah. And I know some of you are going to be like, well, David, he doesn't bolt. He doesn't try to knock me over, so it's not a problem. And I understand that. And I understand that it's not a problem. But if it's not a problem, why don't we take it up a notch? Why don't we raise our expectations, as we also talked about, of what our dog can do? Because believe it or not, guys, opening that door and asking your dog for a stay extra little more stimulation for the day, extra little more control for the day, okay, extra little bit more structure for your dog's daily life. The problem is most people let dogs have a free-for-all in their homes. There's no structure, there's no rules, and there's no boundaries. And when we lack those things and we have this free-for-all, that's when we get behavioral problems. As minute as they might be, or as extreme as they might be, this is where behavioral problems start, with people not stimulating and working their dogs. And something as simple as a sit and a stay when I open that door can go such a long way. How about when you leash your dogs up? Do they get crazy? Do they whine? Do they go nuts? No, you're gonna sit, I'm gonna hold the leash, and you're gonna relax, and I'm gonna wait you out. If you jump on me, I'm gonna say no and push you down. You're making their brain think, as opposed to just going, ah, oh, ah, walk, oh my God, ah, ah, leash, ah, let me jump, let me jump, let me jump, let me jump. As opposed to, wait, jumping's not working for, wait, how do we, and they're gonna get frustrated and they're gonna whine and then finally they're gonna go and sit down and relax and look up at you. That's when I reach in and leash them up. Work your dog. Oh, I can't stress it enough, guys. We don't think about these moment to moment moments <laughs> of, of creating control when putting on the leash, creating control when we're feeding our dogs, creating control, letting them in and out of the crate, creating control, letting them in and out of the house, creating control during playtime. All of these things add up to the theme of this segment. You gotta work it. 
If you're not working your dog in every single one of those instances, feeding time, guys, sit, stay. I put the bowl of food down, I back away from the food bowl, they should still be staying and they should be looking up right at me, not at the food. And when they are, I release them to their food. Control, stimulation, working it. How about the pool? I've had that question before, I think a few times on the Q&A. Um, I, you know, people will say, David, I let my dog out on the patio and he goes right for the pool, doesn't listen. Create control, guys. Leash up your dog. Don't allow them. Teach them a release word. Teach them a stay. If you have all these things in order, it shouldn't be that hard to, to, to stack onto it. I mean, that's like, like training is cumulative. You know what I mean? It all, it all adds up. You can't just like do one thing here, do one thing there and go, why isn't my dog listening? Because you're not doing everything. You're not working your dog. You're letting them get away with it. In this instance, there's structure here, but no structure there, but sort of structure here. He lets him do this. She lets him do that, but he doesn't let... And we wonder why our dogs seem confused, frustrated, and unfocused. Work your dog. That's right, guys. Gotta work it. You gotta work it. All right? So there are many different ways. Uh, the playtime, I kind of touched over on that really quick. Let's, let's get a little more into that. Playtime, how about structure during playtime? Working your dog while you play. Putting them in a sit, putting them in a stay, throwing a tennis ball while they stay, and then releasing the tennis ball. How about hiding a toy in the house? Taking one of their favorite toys, putting them in a sit and stay, walking around the house and hiding it somewhere, letting them find it. Especially good for scent towns. You know, dogs that have really strong noses, um, I mean, all dogs have strong noses, but you know what I mean, okay? Um, even just a leave it, putting a toy in front of a dog's face, telling them leave it, and then releasing them and letting them have it play tug of war, telling them to drop it, telling them to leave it, making sure they're leaving in front of releasing it. Let, these little things during playtime is working your dog, but we just don't think of it. We just take the ball, throw it, 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 take the ball, throw it. Same thing over and over and over and over. It becomes boring. Sometimes I throw it, sometimes I say stay, sometimes I say leave it, sometimes I say drop it, sometimes I say throw it and stay. So change it up, work your dog, all right? All these different amazing ways that it's not that hard. You see what I'm saying? Like that's, that's everything we talked about today is not ridiculous. You know what I mean? This isn't ridiculous stuff. This isn't requiring extra ridiculous amounts of time on your part. This isn't requiring some crazy training tools and going and spending $300 at the store on extra stuff to train your dogs because you need the clicker and you need the this and you need the that. Do you notice how simple it is to work your dog with maybe some toys, maybe some treats and a leash and a collar? Guys, I, I, we did it this way for thousands of years. We have trained dogs with even less than we have now, right? Even less crap than we have now for thousands of years, very successfully. You know how I know it was successful? Because it was a matter of life and death for human beings and the dogs. We use dogs for hunting, for, for sledding, for all these purposes that were a matter of survival for human beings. So clearly, I mean, I'm here, you're here today. Clearly those guys, our ancestors did something right with the dogs. They kept it simple and they had way better success than we have today. Something to think about. Now, of course, there are the tactics that people used a long time ago that I don't agree with, and there's, you know, we can learn from that stuff, but the point is, my, what I'm really trying to say is the simplicity in their training and that they didn't have all these ridiculous training tools. They didn't have 50 different types of treats. They didn't have 50 different types of toys. Oh, well, Fluffy only likes this toy, and he won't take that toy unless it's filled with peanut butter. Do you think dogs 100 years ago gave a crap about that? Like, give me a break, guys, you know? Like, they still don't, you do. Uh, but, well, that's an argument for a different day. Anyway, 
get out there, work your dogs. You'll have, you'll have happier and healthier dogs, I promise. And find little ways to incorporate that work into your daily life, and then it won't take extra time, much easier, and everybody's happy when you're working your dog. Are you tired of your dog barking all the time? Or maybe you want them to stop jumping on people when they come over. Or does your dog take you for a walk instead of the other way around? Well, we can help. At the Nature of Training and Speak a Dogcast, we are committed to improving the relationships and lives people have with their pets. No matter what behavioral issue you are experiencing, from an unruly puppy to more severe issues, we can help. Our virtual training programs are catered to you and your pet and create a training plan that gets results. For more information, you can check out our website at www.thenatureoftraining.com or find us on Facebook or Instagram at Speak a Dogcast. With the ability to connect, teach, and train with pet owners around the world, together we can make a better home for our furry friends. The Nature of Training and Speak a Dogcast, helping you achieve success with your pet. Next on Speak a Dogcast, Biting Dogs. Yes, we're talking about not the most comfortable subject now. Um, you know, it, it, it's dogs biting, and it's never a fun thing to deal with. And you will discover, look, there are trainers out there who won't touch aggression and bite cases with a 10-foot pole, and for good reason. I, I used to give those trainers slack years ago, and you know something, I, I don't anymore because, look, it's a huge liability. It's it's not pretty. It's tough. It, it's just, look, it feels really great when you conquer it, and the dog does better, and you train the dog, and and that's wonderful, but every case isn't just that black and white and open and shut. You know, it just doesn't work that way. And so I, I have respect for trainers who don't want to deal with it. Uh, I have even more respect for trainers who do. And aggression is just, it's not fun. And, and, you know, we've talked about aggression many times in this podcast. And first and foremost, let's just differentiate. There is a difference between aggression tendencies and straight up aggression. In all of my time in, what, like 14 years training dogs, I have... I think only come across truly like one, maybe two dogs ever that were true, true aggression cases. And I'm talking these, there's, there's something maybe mentally wrong with the dog. Maybe there's just, just too much charge, something where this dog doesn't need provocation. This dog doesn't need uh, anybody to, to engage in a fight. It will just come at you. No questions asked. It's very rare. You see a dog like that. Majority of cases, vast majority of any cases when it comes to aggression in dogs, it tends to be possessive or fear-based. Um, there, the point is that there has to be a trigger. There, there's almost always a trigger when it comes to aggression. Aggression doesn't just happen. It does very rarely, but that's the point, and that's how rare it is. So we have aggression tendencies versus straight-up aggression, right? And we're definitely going to be talking about our president today and his dog, how could we not? How could we avoid it? <sighs> Look, you know, what's fascinating is before we did the History of Animal Mascots segment, those of you that have been listening to my show more recently and maybe not some of the older episodes, um, we've, we've had a rotating segment coming in and out of that spot. Uh, originally, it was the um, uh, 
<laughs> oh my God, breed of the week. Goodness, couldn't even remember the name. I'm like, what is the breed of the week where we featured a breed each week and talked about that breed, the history, all kinds of cool stuff. Really neat info. Uh, but then we moved on from that segment and we created the first pets segment. And the first pets segment was all about animals that have lived in the White House, pets of the president. And it was actually quite fascinating. I mean, it really was. Number one, to learn all the different animal species that have made their way in and out of the White House, number one. Number two, it was just cool, like right? Like it was just cool to hear about people, their dogs and the stories behind it. And another interesting takeaway, uh, a consistency, if you will, that I saw over and over and over, especially as we got further along in the 20th century, is misbehaving dogs. You don't really hear about bites happening much in the 18th century, or excuse me, 19th century. Um, obviously, we didn't have many presidents. In the, you know. Anyway, <laughs> right. So it started in the 20th century more happening. And then by the time we got more and more, it became a more common occurrence. Not every president, not every time. Uh, but I think I would go out on a limb and say that Biden's dogs take the cake as the worst dogs, worst behaved dogs. Um, history of the presidency. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's like, what can you say? It, it, the dog is bitten, what, 11 times, I think I read, and that may not even be accurate. I mean, I may be off by a few, and I bet you that's not even all of them recorded, but it's to the point that there could even be, there's there's rumors of lawsuits happening, guys. Like, this is, it's crazy to me how the President of the United States could take something so lightly that this dangerous dog that could potentially, and has, caused harm to people, just whatever, la di da brush it off, who cares? I, I don't get it, guys. I, I don't. It blows my mind. And I know he's not putting up with that dog on a daily basis, of course, because come on, let's be real. Uh, and there's part of the problem. OK. I just don't understand how people could one from a standpoint of the animal, how you want to let an animal continue acting like that and let them be anxious and let them be a great, you know, that aside, how you could put up with it. Like, like, of course, the animal needs needs first. But then what about you? You put up with that? Like. I don't know how you could want your dog to be anxious like that. You must want it because you don't want to fix it. You're not actively doing anything to fix it. And yeah, to be honest, I'm pointing a finger at everybody. I am. I'm being honest, guys. This is honesty time because this is one of the serious things I talk about with dog training. This is a serious thing. A dog is a loaded weapon. Whether you want to hear that or not, whether you want to come to that realization or not, doesn't change the fact that a dog with the, in the wrong hands, in the wrong environment, in the wrong setting can be a deadly thing. It's the reality. That's the truth. You know, I, I know it's tough to hear that. We all know it. Dogs, dogs bite people and cause death. I mean, it can happen. It does happen. And when we talk about something like a German shepherd being thrust into the White House, well, no wonder. I, I, I'm, sh I, I'm shocked. The dog has no structure, no rules, no boundaries, no job, no work, no stimulation other than madness all the time. And gee, he's biting people? Wow, I never, I never could have seen that coming. And so it's no different when we talk about people and their pets in their homes. We have a family who isn't going to walk the dog, who isn't going to exercise the dog. They go out, they get a German Shepherd. Next thing you know, German Shepherd's possessive, aggressive. There's no leadership roles being taken in the house. I mean, it, it, I would say it boggles my mind, but it, it boggles my mind why people get dogs like that. That's the part that boggles my mind. The part that doesn't is when the dog acts up and then the dog gets blamed, doesn't he? She, it, dog gets blamed. And it, it just drives me nuts where people will take these working breeds, tie them up in the backyard for, for months and months on end, and then the dog gets loose and bites somebody. Well, no, it's, it's shocker. 
Boy, I'm really surprised. I'm not. Guys, when we talk about working dogs, when we talk about dogs that have high energy, high energy breeds, the reason a dog has high energy is because they were bred for that purpose. It's very, it's it's pretty simple. Uh, we bred these things. Like we created all of these dog breeds. That was us. So when we have a high energy breed, that wasn't an accident. That was on purpose. And then we take a high energy breed and we put four walls and a house around them. We don't exercise and we don't stimulate them. And what do we get? So when we talk about biting dogs, it, it every time, Every single time I walk in where there's a biting case, we have an understimulated dog, period. No ifs, ands, or buts. That's where it starts. That may not be everything. That may not be all encompassing of what's going on with the issue, but it always starts with understimulation, under-exercised. Now, if we move on from there and we look at how dogs are hardwired, dogs need structure, rules, boundaries, discipline, and affection last. And what do people do? We do, we ignore all the other stuff and only give the affection and we give the affection first and everything else goes out the door. And we wonder why we have behavioral issues. So when we talk about a dog that is biting, when we talk about a dog that's in a White House setting where there's people coming and going, there's noise, there's cameras, there's, I mean, it's just constant different smells and it's a big environment and there's tons of space and it's crazy. And even more important than ever for that dog, even like, Needs structure, rules, boundaries, exercise without that. And that's where I go, look, a dog can, there, there is, it's not like a dog can't thrive in the White House because it's, it's happened, right? It's been done. And granted, yes, we aren't, there's a lot more press and, and madness and whatever you want to argue today versus 50 years ago. But you can't tell me 50 years ago, the White House wasn't hopping, you know, like there was people everywhere and press and security and, and, and. Secret Service and meetings and dignitaries and, 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 and dinners. And so all of these things, there were dogs who did well with it. They can thrive with it. But if you read up on the dogs who did it, and this is the thing, guys, it's training is all patterns. And so you can even just read the patterns of the presidents who took an active role in their dog's life. It wasn't just for PR purposes. You can read uh, certain presidents went for runs with their dogs Every single morning they were at the White House. And if they didn't, someone was there taking care of the dog and doing the run for the president. If you read the history, you can easily see the correlations of, oh, look at that. The dogs that were stimulated, cared for, trained, had rules, boundaries, had, had routines. Those are the dogs that thrived in the White House. Those were the dogs that weren't biting people. Head scratcher, I wonder why. It's not just the breed. It's not just the breed. More than guys, I you know I've said it before. The worst, one of the worst dogs I had ever worked all my time doing this. One of the worst dogs. You want to know what the breed was? Anybody? Anybody want to guess? One of the worst, not the worst, but one of the worst was a yellow lab. A yellow Labrador Retriever was very high. I mean, just nasty amount of dog aggression, guys. Nasty amount of dog aggression, and it took a long time to solve. So. It's not breed discriminatory. <laughs> I, sure, I, I, I do say like a working breed is definitely going to be more likely to end up on that list of, of banned dogs and biting dogs. Why? Because if they're not stimulated, they're going to get more frustrated than an understimulated Shih Tzu. Granted, I've seen some nasty Shih Tzus in my time as well. <laughs> so not breed specific, but a bite from a Shih Tzu, a bite from a German Shepherd, which one is going to be, you know, so what are you going to do?
So this is the thing about biting, guys. I want, I, you know, I want you to take this away today. That number one, biting is not breed discriminatory. It's not. I've seen nasty breeds. I've seen nasty dogs of every type of breed, every size, everything. Okay, that's the first thing. The second thing I want you to take away today is that there is a difference between straight up aggressive dogs and aggression tendencies. Majority of dogs that have any aggression issues out there, they're going to fall under that aggression uh, tendency umbrella, whether it be possessiveness, fearfulness, those tend to be the most common. Uh, a dog who's straight up aggressive is coming at you with no provocation, no, no trigger, no nothing, just boom at you. That's an aggressive dog, and thank goodness, far and few in between. So remember, there is a difference. Now, if you want to try to avoid aggression altogether, you want to try to avoid having your dog bite, guys, it's all about stimulating them and working them. It goes back to the first segment from today. You got to work it. You have to work your dogs to keep them stimulated. And if you're an owner out there of any kind of shepherd, of even like, you know, and Rottweilers have been bred down from what they used to be, but even something like a Rottweiler, Dobermans. Uh, when we're talking about working any collies, how about how about uh, shepherd? Uh, also, well, Australian shepherds, shepherds, but like uh, any of the collies, any of the farm dogs, working dogs, cattle dogs. Like I, the list goes on and on. When we talk about a working dog, if you are not providing daily exercise, daily routines, daily structure, daily stimulation, and you are not acting as the leader of your dog, whew, you're going to get yourself in trouble. So if you want to avoid these things, get on. All of those points. Get on it, guys. Check out all my segments. Go ahead. Be sure you scan back throughout the podcast. I mean, we are on episode 141. Uh, on average, I do like what? I mean, well, I do most of the time we do two training segments every single podcast episode. Do the question and answers. The question and answers have been awesome, by the way. Keep your questions coming. Loving it, guys. Uh, the questions have been phenomenal. So if you have a dog training question, if you have just any dog question, go ahead and send it my way. You can email me. Questions at speakadogcast.com. Message me on social media. Whatever works for you, send it on over my way. Um, but again, guys, it's all about structure, routine, boundaries, understanding how a dog is hard, hardwired, tapping into that, and fulfilling their needs so that way they can also help fulfill yours. So... Good luck out there. And one more little note, even when it comes to when it does come to biting dogs, I highly recommend you hire a professional. It is a very serious thing. It can be a dangerous thing. And if you are unknowledgeable or unsure about what to do, it's okay. Make sure you find a reputable trainer, a reputable behavior specialist in your area, and they can help you, guide you, and you can have better success. So be careful out there, be smart out there, and be sure you're providing the right amount of structure and routine and stimulation and affection for your dogs. The answer to today's trivia question, what is the name of the process that nearly all amphibians undergo to change from infancy to adulthood? It's metamorphosis. Next on Speak a Dogcast, it's the history of Animal Mascots 101. Today, we'll be talking about the University of Arkansas. The University of Arkansas was founded in 1871 as the Industrial University. Classes were first held in 1872, and then the current name was adopted in 1899. Now, anybody familiar with SEC football, you're familiar with Arkansas, their mascot, and their famous hog call. Yes, now don't worry, I won't be doing that hog call for you guys today, I promise. <laughs> but I tell you what, head on over to YouTube or Google it. Check out the University of Arkansas hog call. It is, it, it's a neat tradition, a neat college sports tradition, but again, I'm not doing that today. All right, so for those of you that don't know, the University of Arkansas, they are the Razorbacks, hence the hog call, yes. However, up until 1909, they were known as the Cardinals. 
But after a big win against LSU, then coach Hugo Bestic, he called his players a wild band of Razorback Hogs. Now, most people in the area, they were familiar with wild Razorback Hogs because they were a common sight at the turn of the century in rural Arkansas. Now, wild hogs can also be quite ferocious and determined and even a bit aggressive. So kind of the perfect animal to represent a college mascot. Now, a year after Coach Bezdick coined the team uh, as Razorbacks, an official vote for the from the university students changed the mascot from the Cardinals to the Razorbacks. Now, a live mascot has been used at Arkansas since the 1960s, and today the school uses a Russian boar aptly named Tusk, yes, that most closely resembles the wild Razorbacks that used to roam the state. Now, the anthropomorphic version of the mascot made his debut in the 1970s as Big Red, and he was commonly referred to as the Dancing Razorback throughout the 1980s. A female Razorback joined him named Sue E. Pig. Sue <laughs> Yes, Sue E. Pig. Again, go, go check out the hog call. And there's an, even a child-sized mascot, my favorite one, named Porkchop. <laughs> He's popular, of course, with the younger Arkansas fans. Now, there's also a boss hog. He is a nine-foot-tall inflatable Razorback mascot. And then finally, there is a baseball-specific mascot named Ribby, a, a take on RBI <laughs> that is at every home baseball game. Next on Speaky Dogcast, it's the listener Q&A. The first question today comes from Sarah from Palm City, Florida. Sarah says, can I let my dog sniff on the walk and at what point can I do so? He seems to want to sniff a lot and I want to give him enough freedom to enjoy, but it feels like he just gets distracted easier the more that I let him sniff. Should I let him sniff at the start of the walk just to get it out of his system? Sarah, good question. Uh, okay, so here's the thing with sniffs and walks. Um, actually, I even have a segment, I believe, called sniffs and walks, something like that way back. We talk in depth a little more about this, but I'm going to try to give you the nutshell version here. Um, so, you know, look, here's the thing. Dogs have really, really, really insanely strong noses. I mean, they are like ridiculously strong. They put your your nose and my nose to shame. We have roughly about uh, 4 million receptor cells in our nose, and dogs have anywhere from around 220 to 224 million receptor cells. So, I mean, like literally 200 million more receptor cells in their nose. They literally see the world in a smellscape. So, when we're out on a walk with our dogs, without our dogs putting the nose to the ground, they're already taking in the world around them, you know? Yeah, sometimes they want to investigate and get a little more of a sniff and isolate a scent, and that's why they go for one smell and put the nose to the ground, because they find something more interesting or whatever uh, the case might be. But they don't absolutely have to put their nose to the ground to smell something. That's what I try to tell everybody. I want to scream it from the rooftops. Dogs do not have to put their noses to the ground intently to be able to take in the world around them from a scent perspective. They're doing it constantly. Think about even when your house, all of a sudden your dog might, you might be laying there, but out of nowhere they sit up and they take in the scent a little bit and then back down. Did they put their nose to the ground intently? Did they have to put their and touch their nose to something to get the smell? No. So that's the thing. Dogs don't absolutely have to put their nose to the ground, but what happens is if you let your dog put the nose to the ground on the walk and you do it over and that's all they do, yes, then they get lost in it. Dogs only have a one-track mind. They can literally, literally only focus on one thing at a time. And so if they get too engaged, over-engaged on a scent, yeah, you're gonna lose their focus and you're gonna lose them. Um, if they're so over-engaged on a scent 
and you need to redirect their focus for whatever reason out on the walk, you're going to have a hard time doing it. So, you know, here's what I say. The, 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 the uh, smelling rather, excuse me, the walk is meant to be a walk. Like that's just it. Smelling is a reward. The walk is kind of work time and they enjoy it. They love it if you do the walk properly. Okay. So I like to use the sm uh, smelling time, scent time, sniff time, whatever as a reward. Hey, you've been walking really good for like 10, 20 minutes. We're doing great. Yeah. Stop and take a pee, man. Lift a leg, you know, leave your, leave your mark, let them sniff for a second. And then I say, all right, guys, let's go. And Boom, right back to the walk. No, arg you know, no arguments. <laughs> what, we have a five-year-old? Uh, no, no, ar you know, nothing. The dog's just, yeah, cool, we're done. Sniffed, I'm good now. Peed on something. We don't have to do it the whole time. We, now, the second part of your question, should I let him uh, sniff at the start of the walk to try to get it out of his system? Absolutely not, because think of it this way. If we use sniff time as a reward, then we're giving the reward before they've done anything. That's like giving a kid dessert before they've done their homework, right? You're not gonna, if you tell a kid, hey, I'll give you dessert if you do your homework. And then at some point you just give it and go, ah, you didn't do your homework, but here's the dessert anyway. You just rewarded that behavior. So it's no different. If we get out of the car and we immediately let them sniff and do whatever the hell they want, you're essentially setting precedent that this is what the walk is. It's a free for all. Good luck to you. I like to work, right? Work them first. Goes back to the first segment today. Gotta work it. Gonna say it over and over and over gotta work your dogs okay then let them have the sniff time so hope that helps you out next question this comes from frank frank says i have a small chihuahua who is very anxious whenever i walk around the trail and someone passes by us making some kind of loud noise it startles my dog and it's tough to condition her uh to condition my dog to random these random instances excuse me also she gets really anxious when someone walks behind us and starts speeding up and not listening to my commands i need help what do you recommend? Thank you. I love the podcast and keep doing what you're doing. Frank, thank you so much. I appreciate the question submission and thank you for uh, for listening to the podcast and enjoying it. Uh, thank you to anybody who listens to the podcast and enjoys it. Uh, all right. So we have a small chihuahua who's very anxious. I dealt with a little bit of this with my own chihuahua. Same, same thing, right? Loud noises at first. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, people coming up behind us was definitely something we, we worked on. Because uh, she didn't like that either. So the loud noises part is something you need to start at home. Um, you know, what I want you to do is start small. Start small. You know what kind of noises are going to freak her out. And start small. Like if it's something as simple as like taking a book and dropping it on a desk very lightly. You know, you know I don't want you to freak her out. But start small. What I want you to do is give her a treat. And then very lightly drop something. Not right next to her, but close by. If you can have somebody help you out, that would be ideal. So you're not having to drop the book next to her and really freak her out. Have somebody over, you know, a little bit away. Um be feeding her a treat and then they drop the book and then feed her a treat again. And don't make a big deal about it. Oh, good girl. Not that just, just treats. Just very calm, very relaxed. We don't want to be too frantic because sometimes even, even though, even though you're trying to give reinforcement, sometimes that frantic energy can be misinterpreted by them, especially if they're in an anxious state and we don't want to, you know, reward that. So it's, it's a little, you're going to be, you're going to be riding a little bit of a tough line at first, Frank, because we inadvertently don't want to be reinforcing the anxiety at the same time. I want to try to associate something nice like food with the noise. So it's not so scary. Okay. Um, but that's how we're going to do it. Very, very small feeder treats, feed her a couple treats, then make the noise, feed her a treat right as the noise is happening. She may not want to take the treat at first and that's okay. Just try to keep working on it very slowly. Only do the noise every minute or two to start with, you know? Um, but that's what you have to start with little things like maybe even rustling. One of the ones a common one I deal with, with dogs like this, uh, rustling of a trash bag. So like when you go to change the trash, does she maybe get scared at that? Find instances that, you know, she may be a little scared of and try to incorporate food with it and associate that. 
One other thing is you might want to leash her up in these instances. So number one, we start associating the leash, the walk, right, with these instances. Number two, she can't just run in fear uh, and hide. She's going to have to deal with it, and we give her food when she relaxes, okay? Um, this is going to take a little time. I'm telling you now, this is not an overnight process. If, if you're, you know, your dog's already having issues with loud noises and they're small, it can take some time to get over these things. It's not that you can't. You will, but just... Be patient is all I'm trying to say. Uh, now, if people coming up behind you, this you may have to try to um, handle in a few different ways. Being that if they're coming up from behind you and she's trying to speed up, right? Like, let's look at it. Let's break it down. She's trying to get away from them. So we don't want to reinforce that by keeping by walking away. I would try this first. And again, look, like I said, you might have to try a couple things for this one. It really depends. And I'd have to kind of see the behavior to... but. What I will say is try just stopping. And this is one of the few instances I recommend stopping. Most of the time on walks, I want you to keep moving. Uh, but for this instance, I want to try something. Let's let's see. Experiment. If someone's coming up behind you, I want you to pull over to the side and stop. Um, and we're going to have treats with us. Make sure you bring, a treat, bring your treats and a treat pouch on the walk as well. Okay? And I want you to pull over to the side and stop. If your dog knows, if she knows to sit, try to ask her to sit and just get her to focus on you and feed her treats as the person walks by. Ignore the person. Don't worry about it. If she tries to pull away, just kind of lightly, gently pull her back toward the person where she was a little bit. Try to get her to sit. Okay. Slowly but surely, we want to start associating. Person walks by. I focus on you. I get food person becomes irrelevant over time, okay? That will take a little work. And again, that's the first step though. I have a few different steps from there that I would go if that doesn't seem to settle her down over a few weeks. Um, but again, Frank, that's where I would start. That's where I, that's what I would try to begin with. Um, the whole concept is we're trying to create focus from her. We're trying to reward her behavior when she does relax. Um, and we're trying to not let her pull away from the person, right? So a couple things you're hitting at the same time, that's why it could take a little time to change this behavior. I know that's a lot. Like, there's a lot going into that. Um, but hey, good luck. Let me know if you need any more help and try those things. Let me know how it goes. That'll wrap up the podcast today. Thank you so much for listening. If you haven't clicked that subscribe or that follow button, do so right now. New episodes come out every single Wednesday. You're going to want to check them out. If you love what you're hearing, click that five-star rating, leave me a review. I would greatly appreciate it. Find me on Instagram at Speak Dogcast, YouTube at Speak Dogcast, and become a patron of the show today at patreon.com slash speakadogcast. I want to thank my patrons, my pup supporter, Regula Wright, and my dog friend, Maureen Crossan. Have a wonderful week, and don't forget to get out there and walk your dog. Thank you.